we, we have to get out of this kind of lazy mindset. Again, it gets back to this sort of investment of time, a little bit of time. If we think about how much is built off of that upfront job description, right? How we ultimately decide on, on who we're going to give the, the job offer to, it all stems from that job description. And so it's one of those areas where it's like, when we cut corners, it's literally like building a faulty foundation for our house, right? Like that is the, that's the last thing we want to do is not invest enough time in the foundation. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Dace, and I am founder of Specialist HR Recruiters, JGA Recruitment. Now, remember, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time or the hundredth time, let me take this opportunity to say, Thank you. Thank you again for joining me as well today, because I think today is going to be a really exciting deep dive for all of you HR professionals into the world of decoding bias, diversifying workplaces and developing equitable technologies. But before I introduce today's guest, please let me just say, if you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe to it. Please remember to share it with all of your HR colleagues. And if you do have a spare moment and would like to review it for us, that would be fantastic. Well, anyway, we're available on all major podcast channels, and I want to introduce today's guest. So today I am joined by Arthur Woods, who is a social entrepreneur and LGBTQIA advocate working on the intersection of equity, inclusion, and technology. He's the Amazon best-selling author of Hiring for Diversity, which is available in the episode notes, so click straight through if you want to get a copy for yourself, and the co-founder of Matterson, which is a technology platform that equips employers with everything they need to manage their diversity hiring efforts, something I'm passionate about as a recruiter and something I know you're passionate about as well as HR professionals and more about that later. Now, Arthur was named in the Forbes 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 by BEQ. He's a three-time TEDx speaker and he's advised leading brands from Disney and Sonos and MetLife to the Smithsonian. He's the creator of the first ever Equal Harming Index, we're gonna talk about more about that later, which assesses and benchmarks inclusive harming practices as well. He came from Google where he led operations for YouTube's education division and he oversaw YouTube for schools. He previously co-founded the Imperative, a leading social learning platform, there's so much I could go through here. This is a guy with so many credentials in this space. I'm super excited to introduce him all to you. So without further ado, I'm very privileged to welcome Arthur Woods to the show. How are you feeling today, Arthur? Hey, Nick. Good to see you. Thanks for having me today. Great to see you. Loads to get through. I'm going to start with the same question I ask all my guests, which is this. What does human resources mean to you? Well, Nick, uh, human resources for for me really means leaders who are unlocking human potential in the workplace every day. If we think about the fact that we spend the majority of our waking lives in our jobs, in the workplace, and work isn't working for the vast majority of people, the workplace doesn't equally represent the rich diversity that exists in society. For a lot of people, work is not a place where they find purpose, where they feel like their full best selves, their authentic selves. So human resources for me is all about um, how we change the whole paradigm of work. So it's empowering people, including people, and bring people to their best selves in their jobs every day. 
What a fantastic way of surmising human resources. I've got to have all my listeners going, hell yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> right. I mentioned and by the way, no, no more exciting time to be an HR leader than today, in my mind. This is the, the most exciting time to be in this field. I would agree. Challenging also. I'm going to talk a little yes. bit about that. Challenging time. Certainly, they're, they're dealing with an awful lot on their plates at the moment, HR professionals. And we talked about in that introduction, we're going to be discussing decoding bias and how to yes. develop you know, a, a diverse workforces using technology to do that. Let's start then with the, with the bias question. Yeah. How can companies reduce bias when it comes to hiring new staff for their teams? Yes. Well, okay. So if we think about sort of the, first of all, the genesis of bias, right? Uh, I think it's first important to start with the fact that our brains are on autopilot during most of the decisions that we make every day, right? We get 400 million bits of information in any minute, and we, we can only process like 40 bits, right? So um, unconscious decisions are part of our daily behavior. It's part of our daily survival mechanisms. When we think about the hiring process, um, so many of those decisions that are unconscious find themselves in the hiring process, right? And part of it is because we've hired a lot of people. If you take the common executive, think of the number of interviews that person's had. When they've gone on autopilot, they've said, I'm going to, you know, you're the 10th person I've spoken to about this role, right? So we find that there are three major things we have to do to really ensure that we're equitable in our hiring to minimize bias. The first is be willing to invest time. When we rush, when we cut corners, when we pretend that a role is so urgent that we have to skip the process, we introduce bias because, again, we push that, those unconscious decisions. We rush them, right? If we think about any time we've made a snap decision, we've typically not always been very thoughtful about it, right? So time, right? Um, the second is structure. We have systems in place, equitable interviews, se selection systems. The process of simply making sure that every single person applies to the job that we're hiring for. Go figure, right? These systems are in place to ensure that we're impartial. Most of what the book was about was actually just introducing lightweight consistency through systems to make sure that we're not making subjective you know, decisions, right? Sure. Final piece is, is just us building awareness. You know, When we continue to learn about different underrepresented communities and their needs and the barriers that they face, we tend to make decisions that are rooted in empathy. And so as leaders, I think we always have the opportunity to invest in greater awareness and just understand the very communities we're trying to hire. Something that I've wanted to ask this question since I knew you were coming on the show, Arthur, so I've got to ask it. It's, um, I think awareness is working, right? I think there's more awareness now about this, the question of improving diversity in the workforce than I've ever seen before as a recruiter. I've been yes. in this place for nearly 20 years. We're hearing a lot about this term of unconscious bias. But because everyone's aware of this unconscious bias, they say we can't control it. It's unconscious because it's not conscious bias. Like we, we know this is something that just is happening and it, everyone has it. Do you yeah. find that the awareness on the, on the you know, to play devil's advocate with that has gone so far the other way where people are hiding behind this unconscious bias, I, I use in air quotes, for some of the decisions that are being made? But it wasn't my fault. It was it's not our business's fault. It's not our corporation's fault. This is an unconscious thing that we're doing. But you actually look at the business and you realize there's clearly a problem, but they're not mm. really necessarily looking to confront that problem because of this, this escape route that we've given them, even because we know it does exist in everybody. I'd love to yeah. know what some of the, and that's one problem that I see with this. I know there's probably a yeah. multitude more problems. What are some of the problems you're seeing then in relation to unconscious bias and, and, and I guess companies' hiring efforts when it comes to diversity? 
Well, I, I think one major issue we're seeing is that individuals and companies can pretend that unconscious bias is sort of just a check the box motion, right? Oh, we sent everyone through a training. Um, great, you're rid of unconscious bias. You've, you've, you're woke now. You know, the truth is we have to invest in daily intentional changes to the way that we make decisions in order to address bias. Bias doesn't just show up because we didn't attend a training. It shows up because for basically the reasons we were talking about earlier, right? That we're, we're going too quickly. We're not being intentional about decisions we're making. We're abandoning structure. So I think one, one piece is, is us pretending that it will be just cured. Um, I think a second to your point is we have the ability now, now that some of these categories exist to basically say, oh, well, our organization just is flawed. So we, we don't need to do anything. And the truth is everyone plays a role. Part of you know our big thesis with the book and the research is, even if your organization is not at all on board for this work, you as an individual leader, even as an individual contributor, have a role to play. And you can actually make significant progress in this work just in your own orbit, regardless of where your organization is, right? I think the final thing is just to note that um, there, there will always be a new type of bias. There will always be a new blind spot that yeah. we weren't aware of, right? And so I think leaders have to also understand that it, this, is, this is a journey and not a destination. Um, the most, you know, I would say aware DEI leaders that we work with still admit that they have a long way to go in learning about different communities they could support or different barriers they didn't know about. And I think that that adds a, a new layer of kind of vulnerability that we as leaders will never sort of reach the end point in this work. Sure. No, I like that. I like the way you talk about it. Say it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. You know, that's what we're all working through to get to that destination. We, I mean, in, in the world of hiring, certainly here in the UK, we've had a lot of discussion about how we can improve processes. One of those, for example, is blind CVing. Now, I don't mind being yeah. quite outspoken on this. A lot of people are very much for it. As a recruiter, I'm not because I think... Yes. What it does is it covers the, the symptom. It doesn't actually get to the cause of the problem. You mask right. a CV, they come in for interview, but those biases are still going to be in existence when the, once that individual meets the other individual that's blind CV, all those biases are going to come back out again anyway, and there's still going to be discrimination. I think you're just delaying the process because we're not treating the cause of the problem necessarily. But I know there's a number of kind of technologies and other helpful tools that, that you've been developing and you're seeing in the hiring process. So I'd love to know what, what your thoughts are potentially even on that issue as well, but also some of the other strategies and tools and things you're seeing out in the market that could really help HR professionals to make more informed, better, diverse hiring decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so in terms of blind CVing, I, you know, I think a couple things there. One is there, there is indeed name bias. There is indeed, uh, you know, beauty bias. You know, all, there, there's a bias for every type of decision we can make. There's education bias. There's credential bias, right? So yeah. we we have certainly found that, you know, um, wh when it comes to, you know, blind CVs, we should be aware that we are, we're, we're typically trying to make a decision about a candidate's suitability in the first seven seconds of looking at their profile. Like in the, in the first seven seconds, we're already putting them in a box. Yeah. And I am certainly guilty of looking at a limited number of factors to start placing someone in that box. Um, and one of which for me has been, you know, where do they go to school or what year do they graduate or things that oftentimes have no bearing on their skills and experience, yeah. right? So we have we have a tool that um, actually sits on top of uh, of LinkedIn that that enables you to anonymize um, aspects of LinkedIn like you know their school or their graduation that. year. That makes total you know? sense to me. Yeah. So and 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 for me, I don't actually anonymize the person's name or picture. I look I look more at you know I'd rather not see the gap in their 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 employment because that's something that I know has been uh, yeah. you know an area of bias for myself. You know. 
It's really interesting. I love the way you put that because you're absolutely right. Blind seeing is not just about names. I think for me, the name is part of who we are. It's part of our right. makeup, our culture. It's everything. So to take that off ourselves, for me, it's just too personal because, you know, yeah. whatever your name is, it just says so much about who you are. And I think to take that out is scary. But I love the fact That's that your great. software that you mentioned there, it's not just about the name. You can you can potentially choose and, and, and change things. What are some of the other tools you're seeing out there which you've seen, I guess, really help hiring managers to make better decisions? Maybe they're free, maybe they're paid for, but any other sort of really yeah. groundbreaking tools that you could talk about? Well, you know, we're seeing some really cool new, uh, you know, training uh, experiences that help uh, leaders either through virtual reality or through even um, role-based training better understand what it feels like to be the job seeker or the person who experiences a micro inequity. And and I'm I'm really excited about that kind of work because, you know, today the typical training is we send someone through a course and they they have to go, you know. They're, they're, it's sort of just uh, you're, you're, you're like everyone else, go through this, go through the motion. But we don't always feel what it's like to be the very person we're trying to support, right? So I think to be able to build an empathy and shift someone's experience so that they, they sort of see the world through different eyes, that's really powerful. And I think technology enables us to do that. So yeah. I'm excited about some of these new, these new resources uh, that, that, are, that are using VR, using, using kind of video-based um, kind of role-playing uh, experiences to to uh, put someone in, in the shoes of the job seeker. We're doing a lot around uh, basically helping leaders um, efficiently audit their practices to figure out where they have bias. Um, oftentimes, what has been in the hands of a diversity consultant to come in and sort of help you figure out, you know, as you monitor your practices, where do you have potential drop-off? Where where could you be introducing inequity? So we've been we we've we've developed some some resources that help employers essentially take that kind of lens and say, hey, let's make this a continuous uh, measurement, you know, for how we assess bias. Fantastic. I have to say, I'm assuming this is really in demand, right? Because every HR person I speak to at the minute seems to be looking for better solutions. It seems to be post-pandemic very, very much on the HR agenda at the minute, to, which is, I think is fantastic to really improve yes. diversity of workforces. And the research is backing up the reasons for people doing that. When we talk about job descriptions, it's something that I look yes. at every single day in the world of recruitment. Yep. Right? I see hundreds of them, poorly written, well-written, very different, very diverse. What can HR teams do to help improve the way they write their job descriptions so they are less biased? Yes, yes. So first of all, the prevailing kind of uh, methodology for writing job descriptions has been focused really around gender coded terms, gender charged yeah. terms. And, you know, it's like, if you ask the North, you know, any recruiter, you know, out on the street, what should we do with job descriptions? I think there's kind of just this general, you know, understanding, oh, we shouldn't use overly masculine terms because that deters women. And that's true. Right. But I think when we think about what deters underrepresented communities across the board, it's many other things. So first, when we write job descriptions that have corporate cliche acronyms that people don't understand, jargon, that is a deterrent. And that can send a signal to someone who doesn't necessarily ascribe to a specific culture or personality that this job isn't for you. So we've actually created tools that help figure out like, where do you have jargon and buzzwords? Accessibility, is, is this written for a reading level that's that's understandable to people? Are, you, are we writing overly complex terms? And then we actually indexed a whole series of exclusionary terms, you know, words like handicapped that, you know, should be reframed as people with disabilities or words that have um, really microaggressive connotations or historical origins that people weren't even aware of. 
And so we've introduced these kind of different categories of, of, of words that we want to be sure to address in our job descriptions so that we're not, um, essentially, we're not just focused on gender-coded terms, which is what everyone seems to know about. People shouldn't underestimate this either. Obviously, work in recruitment, and one of our jobs is to try and attract as the largest and the broadest talent pools as possible from the most diverse backgrounds as possible. And then it's our job, yep. once we have them in, to make the assessment and to do the shortlisting. But there's nothing worse than placing your adverts and getting no one apply or getting such a, a narrow um, set of applications that you can't really fulfill the requirements of the role. So it's important people yeah. do understand how it can impact whether or not someone does apply, because you're right, one term in that job description that could be perfect could That's totally right. put someone off an opportunity. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, we most job descriptions in our experience are written in a way that is about how do I get the perfect candidate? You know, how do I how do I layer in as much as humanly possible to, you know, find the one prodigy that is, is yeah. miraculously wanting to take the pay cut to come work here. And the truth is that's not the way, as you know, most people operate. So we've really focused on how do we, how do we get to the essential skills and experiences? Let's remove preferred qualifications completely. If it's not essential, let's sure. remove it. If, if we're giving a years of experience range, let's, let's come in at that lower, that lower end of the range at, that, that is the requirement. Because if someone isn't necessarily uh, at the upper range, we know that for a lot of job seekers, they won't apply, you know? Yeah. So we've tried to kind of focus in on those different best practices that just help get to what is actually necessary. Do you find, um, something I find as well, again, speaking my language in the world of recruitment here, but we get loads of job descriptions, which are the same description they used two or three years ago, the individual oh, yeah. left, and what they do is they just regurgitate it. But I think they miss HR teams and hiring managers are missing a trick here because when somebody leaves, it's very rare you actually want a like-for-like -like replacement. What you want is the, the individual who's left, you want all the good parts of that individual and the skills they had. But actually, it's an opportunity to evolve that position. That's why I hate the term culture fit. I think we need to get rid of that and bin it and look at yeah, I agree. find people that can evolve your culture, who can evolve the position. So they should be reviewing their job descriptions. We shouldn't be regurgitating. We should be looking at all the things that we want to encourage in the next application that's going to take your business through its next evolutionary cycle, so to speak. Yes. Do you yes. find you see a lot of regurgitated information that maybe now is just, just out of date? It, absolutely. And when we grab a job description that's just a template, right, we yeah. end up, we're not creating it thoughtfully. We're oftentimes pulling in information that isn't relevant. We're layering in a lot of unnecessary information. We, we have to get out of this kind of lazy mindset. Again, it gets back to this sort of investment of time, a little bit of time. If we think about how much is built off of that upfront job description, right? The essential requirements that will inform how we make the decision, the questions we ask in interviews, how we ultimately decide on, on who we're going to give the, the job offer to. It all stems from that job description. And so it's one of those areas where it's like, when we cut corners, it's literally like building a faulty foundation for our house, right? Like that is the, that's the last thing we want to do is not invest enough time in the foundation, you know? Yeah. That's a great way to put it. A great way to put it. I can, I can visualize that. What's the role of leadership then? We've got a lot of HR leaders, a lot of HR directors, HR managers, senior HR professionals that listen to this podcast, learning development directors as well. Yeah. What role do those leaders have to play in their businesses when it comes to diversity and inclusion, in your opinion? Well, so the role of leaders overall, I think the first thing to note is that this can this work can no longer just be HR's job. You know, yeah. we can't operate in a world moving forward where, you know, an organization says we've got a diversity issue. Yeah. Hey. You know, Nick, head of recruitment, can you go figure this out for us, right? Gone is the day, right? So when we think about the collective impact of every single person in our organization, 
who touches the hiring process. Hiring managers who are usually, as you know, the ultimate decision makers in this yeah. process. Yeah. And then also the frontline team member who's in interviews and who's interacting with candidates. The collective uh, you know, capabilities and awareness of our whole organization impacts our, our, the integrity of this process, right? So I think for, for one, talent leaders have to think of themselves as the catalysts for this work um, and, 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 and the capability builders, right? Like talent leaders will not be able to, sh to shoulder this work alone. They, they have to be the ones that empower their organizations to step up. And for leaders, I think there's a chance to say, if I'm not in a talent function, but I am, I'm helping make hiring decisions, I have gaps on my team, I'm going to be one who is helping drive this work forward. They, I think leaders have to start asking what, what role will I intentionally play to make sure we are advancing this work? Yeah. And, you know, and we have a chance, I think, as, as senior leaders to, to really um, incentivize and, and hold our, our, our leaders accountable for this work. You know? So I'm really excited about the organizations that are saying we're, we're making this a collective effort. Um, talent will be our, you know, kind of our, maybe our champions and, and they'll help us know the best practices, but we're going to have to do this together if we're going to do it right. Sure. Couldn't agree more. And actually, you know what? For talent professionals, what an opportunity to make impactful change on your Oh, my goodness. Totally, right? totally. I mean, I can't tell you the number of talent leaders who I get on the phone with who who lament about how, how much they're struggling to bring their leaders on board, their hiring managers. You know, they're having these difficult conversations. So that's, that's an area where I, I think we just have tremendous opportunity. Have you ever asked yourself... How can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Now, I know this is probably a whole podcast by itself, but I'd love to get your opinion on how you're seeing the hiring process impacted by the values and behaviours and mission statements of a business. We're seeing businesses you know, up and down, not just the UK, but actually globally, trying yeah. to update their behaviors, trying to update their mission statements, trying to be relevant, trying to you know, part part advertising, part belief. I think it's a bit of both. Some doing it yeah. so they're on brand. We're adding a rainbow, you know, when it's rainbow. Sometimes you you question whether they're they're fully behind what they're actually selling from sure. a brand perspective. What, but how much how you, authentic it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'd love to know number one how you see that authenticity in the market and whether you, you know, whether you're seeing things generally improve, but also how much are you seeing a, bra a, a brand behavior or values impacting on hiring decisions? Well, I, I think that this all starts with an organization's values, right? And I think a lot of organizations in this last year saw that, you know, diversity, there's sort of one of two camps in what, what we've witnessed. There were, there were leaders and organizations who said, wow, look at what has happened. We've always cared about diversity, but this now really uh, accentuates for us why this is all so urgent and necessary. Let's we we need to we need to really be intentional about what we do next. Cool. And there were a series of other organizations who said everyone's posting about how important diversity is. We should do the same thing. And and sometimes that latter you know uh, case came out of a more performative genesis than one that that was rooted in authentic belief that this work matters. You know. 
Um, and so I, I think it's, it is really important for an organization to really ask themselves and leaders to ask themselves, do we care about diversity because it's something that everyone now is looking at and expecting, or do we care about it because it, it really is what we believe is, is needed yeah. for our business, yeah. you know? And for the organizations that don't really believe in it, I think there's a, a great opportunity to reflect around like what, what the real sort of spirit of this work is, you know? Sure. Um, so I think that, I think that that is really key. And, and what we always tell leaders is this does go back to your core values, to your theory of change with this work, right? A lot of leaders came to us as I know they came to many recruiters and said, we have a diversity issue. We need to go source new candidates, just I'm help just... us find candidates. Right. Yeah. And, but they weren't interested in changing systems. They weren't interested in shifting the behavior of their teams. And they kind of, it was almost like throwing water in a bucket that had a you know, gaping hole at the bottom. Right. And so, you know, for, for organizations, we love starting with values because if if we think about our values, we then think about what we believe needs to change for us to achieve our diversity goals. And then I think we start to develop a more holistic strategy, which is it's about our systems. It's about, you know, how we bring our people on board and it's about how we expand the pipeline. Yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I I covered this a little bit with, uh, with previous guests uh, on the show where, you know, as you said, there was an immediate shift post-pandemic to bring these people in, and they would bring these, you know, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion experts, for example, in on six-month contracts because we're going to change everything within six months. But it's yeah. a continuous process, as you mentioned. You can't put a plaster over this. You've got to try and make a continuous and an investable decision over the over a longer period of time to make sure it's fully fully immersed in what you're trying to do as a business. I, I want to shift That's the conversation right. slightly because you're an expert as well in equitable technologies, right? And there's a number out there. We've talked about some of the things you do with the tool on LinkedIn, for example. But we know that some of these technologies can really help diversify workforces. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about some of the LGBTQIA technologies that exist out there and how they're impacting on society, culture, yeah. the future. Because um, I haven't had an expert in this field on the show before, so I'd love to hear your views. Well, so so th- there there are definitely some some amazing networks that we recommend you know organizations tap into uh, in order to to better support the LGBT community. So I co-founded a group years ago called Out in Tech. It's um, one of the largest LGBT communities globally. It's about 50,000 members and it's, you know, individuals in technology or, you know, passionate about technology who are in the LGBTQ community. And Out in Tech has a presence in London, has a presence globally. Uh, It's a great example of a strong community where if you are an organization interested in empowering and hiring the the LGBTQ community, this is a great community to tap into. Um, You know, there are some really amazing new technologies out there that are beginning to really create healthcare options and, and, and better support for the transgender community. Um, we think of a you know, company called Plume that we've done work with that is becoming one of the largest transgender health providers and um, telehealth providers um, and organizations that invest in, in uh, efforts like this that can better support even just individual um, you know, kind of groups within the LGBTQ community are really kind of blazing trails. And then overall, you know, what we tend to find is that um, all of the steps to write inclusive job descriptions, reduce bias in our systems, and, and train and engage and, and build awareness across our teams kind of lift all boats, honestly, Nick. So I think it is, it's not as though there's there's a there's a widget just to support the LGBT community. Yeah. It isn't going to be in, in benefit of other communities. We believe that in many ways, if we invest in process and awareness and consistency, it is actually going to empower all the groups we're trying to support. I think that's fantastic. Um, 
yeah, I mean, the work you're doing is, is amazing. I think it's, you know, some of these tools we're seeing now obviously isn't just uh, limited to LGBTQIA community either. We're seeing better tools now for wellness and mental health awareness and, and you know, diversity, which we've talked about as well in terms of other ethnic minorities. And, 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 and I think it's amazing that so many people are now doing things because two years ago when I started this podcast, we weren't discussing this. Right. I think right. it's amazing now it's in public consciousness. It should have been then. It certainly is. Well, now. you're right, though. You're right. And it must be a thrill for you to see how much it's evolved. And oh. now it's I, I imagine it's it's the prerequisite to every recruitment conversation. Right. Yeah. And it certainly should be if it's not. So, yeah, I couldn't couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. And also, it, it'll be remiss of me not to mention you've launched your own tech company, of course. It's called Madison. Tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing, because you've introduced something you call the Equal Hiring Index and Scoring System. It sounds pretty groundbreaking. I haven't experienced it for myself yet, but I've read about it and I've looked at it when I went obviously and I researched this interview. Can you tell the yeah. audience a little bit more about what you're doing at Matheson and a little bit more about the about, about the product? Well, absolutely, Nick. I mean, I think for us at Matheson, you know, as, as we've been embarking on this research for years, everything's pointing to the fact that there's there's no lack of intent for leaders who are listening to your podcast, right? For 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 talent leaders who are looking at the state of their organizations and saying we have work to do. You know, we found that the biggest gap has been the capabilities to take that intent and translate it into impact, you know? So we're, we, we're never working with leaders who are like typically needing to be convinced of the case for diversity. Everyone's like, yes, I get it. But what we're struggling with is we, we, ha- we don't have capacity. We're, ha- we're having trouble bringing our hiring managers on board. We, we have trouble expanding the pipeline and we don't know where some of our gaps are right now, right? These are kind of the consistent themes we hear. So uh, at Matheson, our big goal has been to build technology that takes these complex challenges and goals that, that employers have around their diversity recruiting and centralizes capabilities in technology that, that can help them address them. And it starts with actually getting a, getting a pulse or a measurement on where do you have your greatest gaps? So to date, what we found was a lot of employers were, again, jumping right into sourcing alone without recognizing that their systems um, have gaps and may be inequitable. And there might actually be key stages where candidates from underrepresented groups are dropping out or experiencing potential bias that they're not even aware of. So we created this index uh, called our Equal Hiring Index that enables um, an organization to efficiently and consistently audit their talent systems to figure out where they have room to improve accessibility, minimize bias, um, develop more inclusive policies and practices. So first of all, rather than make that a one-time only process, it can be continuous and they can develop equitable systems while they're trying to do these other activities. Sounds amazing. And by the way, anyone listening to this, right, you can clearly, hopefully, hear that Arthur is incredibly passionate about the subject, <laughs> incredibly knowledgeable, right? There is a link in the show notes. You can go straight through to Matheson's website. You can find out more about the products and find out more about it. And I recommend you do because this is really groundbreaking stuff. And I work in the world of recruitment, I've been here for over 20 years. I haven't seen much like this out there. So if you are passionate about it and you want to make change, do take a look at it. I think it's really, really interesting. And, you know, you're, you're clearly someone who's a real expert in this field. So much so you've also written a book uh, called Hiring for Diversity. It's a best-selling book on, on Amazon, which gives yep. leaders out there a, a framework to follow to help improve the way they, di- you know, they recruit diverse talent for their workforces. So can you tell us a little bit more about the book and maybe give us uh, yeah. some of those stages for free for the listeners to give them some, uh, some help along their own, their own journeys to, uh, to hiring a, a more diverse workforce? Absolutely. So, I mean, a, a few things. So the book uh, came out of the pandemic. We, you know, we had been at, the, at this point studying the, the hiring practices of hundreds of employers. 
and we created our framework for our assessment. And we kept getting a lot of the same questions from leaders. And a lot of the questions, you know, Nick, you've been brilliantly bringing up here around how do I write the inclusive job description? How do I minimize selection bias? And, and we realized, gosh, we're like repeating ourselves so much. Like, what if we put these best practices in the form of a, of a guide in a book and we made it accessible to people? And whether you're an organization of 10, you're a hiring manager, uh, you know, that, that isn't even working with your talent team, or you're the recruiter or head of talent trying to figure out how to navigate this work, let's create a guide and a resource that helps just make this all actionable for you. So um, that's how the book came to be. Uh, we released it a couple months ago. And um, the best way to think of it is a pragmatic guide for anyone embarking on this work, regardless of their role, regardless of their authority in the organization, regardless of the size of their organization. Our belief is that everyone can make progress in this work. And um, for, the, for the leaders that have intent and they want to take action, it's, it's sort of a pragmatic resource for them. So, you know, what we love seeing, honestly, Nick, is that there's this vibrant learning community of leaders that are navigating this work and they're, they're realizing we can do it together. We don't need to do this work in silos. And so what we've done is, is really formulate, you know, toolkits and resources and guides and interviews that, that just make the work actionable. And we found that there isn't an organization, by the way, there isn't a single organization in the world that has done all of the work has figured it all out, uh, has the 30-year case study for what to do. What we have is bits and pieces and like individual examples of work that's being done really well in certain areas. And you add it up to something that we believe is pretty transformational. But I think it's important to note that it's not as though we're at this conclusive end to, okay, cool, someone's figured it out, go do it just like them, right? Everyone is sort of collectively on the journey, including organizations, by the way, that have been engaged in the work for decades. You know, they're on the journey as well. Fantastic. And by the way, the reviews have been amazing. And as you say, it's for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're scaling, whether you're at start. That's right. You can't not look at this and take something away from it. So if you are passionate about this, which I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is, you know, about getting better at the way that we, we recruit and, and attract diverse talent, then go and get it. There is, a, of course, a link in the show notes to take you straight through to the book so you can get your copy now. It's relevant for everyone globally listening to this podcast. So please do check it out. And actually something that just resonated with me, and I'm feeling bad because it's on my bookshelf here somewhere. I can't think of the author's name. But we're talking about continuous change. I wonder, I'm throwing it out there now, if the, have you read the, the book Bounce, which talks about 10,000 yes. hours of meaningful... Now, it's written in a sports context. You can be amazing at any sport if you put 10,000 hours of meaningful practice. I'll be interested to see if the same is true in, in a business context. If we've all businesses put in that 10,000 hours of meaningful change and commitment to improving the way they recruit diverse talent, the way that they look at mental health, all of these things. I would love it to see and perhaps invite you back to the show after 10,000 hours time to see how far we've come and see yeah. if there, there is someone that, or a business out there that is actually hitting some of these metrics in a in better and a more improved way. Because as you say, no one's doing everything quite right yet, no matter who you are. Let's hope. Well, that's that, right. That that's right. And, and I would love to, Nick. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm really excited for 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever that date looks like, where we can say, you know, there's an org here's an organization that is doing it all. And sure. honestly, Nick, my prediction on that is it's going to be the, the organization that's probably like 100 people today that maybe is 500 people or 1,000 people down the line that, that they embedded the work from the ground up um, in, the, in the genesis of how they built themselves. Um, and it became germane to their DNA, basically. And so we're, we're working with a lot of organizations that are trying to navigate this work, kind of turning the ocean liner, so to speak. And 
I'm probably most excited about the organizations that are saying, you know, we're, we're small right now, but we're so committed to this work. It's, it's part of our DNA from the, yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. And I think those are the ones that we're going to see probably do some of the most transformational work. And you know what? You probably get it. Probably will be one of those businesses because, as the McKinsey research says, quite a famous report: like the more diverse your workforce, the more profitable your business. More more diverse your board, the more profitable your business. So it'll be those companies that are the most profitable, that are the most successful. We hope if they follow along that path. I could speak to you about this subject for hours, Arthur. I'm hoping to have you back to discuss it again another time. Yes, I would love that. I would love that. I I loved this conversation, I, and I appreciate that that you're you're creating um, space and community for this for this work. No, it's my pleasure. For those interested in finding out more, of course, all these links will be in the show notes. But anyway, in particular, you'd like to direct our listeners to while they've got your voice on the show, Arthur. Yes, uh, you can learn more about Matheson at matheson.io, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N.io. Fun fact, um, Matheson was named after Alan Turing. It was his middle name. And as especially uh, our, our, I'm sure the the listeners know, uh, Alan Turing cracked the Enigma code in World War II um, and faced persecution at the end of his life for being gay. So we, we, he's very much an inspiration for us in the work. And, you know, you can learn more about the book uh, as well, hiringfordiversity.com. Uh, we'd love to invite you to be part of the community. Fantastic. I'll also share a couple of your um, your, your social uh, channels as well. If anyone's interested in following up on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn profiles, all those links will be in the show notes. So please do navigate through to that. And of course, if you're an HR L&D professional listening to this podcast and you need support globally with an HR L&D related vacancy, then we are very passionate here about hiring for diversity at JGA Recruitment. I'd love to be able to support you. Check out our website, www.jgarecruitment.com. And of course, that link will also be in the show notes. Just leads me to say a huge thank you to Arthur Woods for joining me today. Fascinating conversation about something very close to my heart as a recruiter. I think the work you're doing is absolutely fantastic. Please stay on that journey yourself, Arthur. And I look forward to hopefully welcoming you back to the show on a future date. And uh, just leads me to say thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this great show. Thank you, Nick. Cheers, Arthur. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.